You know, there's a lot going on these days. Um, our mission team arrived safely in Uganda, so thankful that they're there safely. I know that many of you have been affected by the teacher strike. That's always concerning to even those of us in our church. I know that some of you have been impacted by the government shutdown. You're going on over a month now without a paycheck. I know that's got to be tough. Um, I heard this morning that three of the young men in our church, Orlando, Carlo, and Francis, lost their dad early this morning around 1.30. And so our hearts just go out to them. And um, yesterday we heard of a, a young man in our church is experiencing a crisis in his family. And uh, I'm, I'm at liberty to, to get into any details, but... It, there's just just a great need for God to intervene and be present in his life and in his family's life today. So I want to just come and, and bring all these things before God. And maybe you can take a few moments also just to, uh, to think about how you need him this morning and, and the things that you need his help with. And so let's open up our time in a word of prayer, okay? Let's just come before God and, and we'll thank him and then we'll, we'll ask him to help us and, and bless us. So Father, thank you, God. There's, there's so many things going on uh, in, not only in the world today, but in our lives today. And, and God, we're, first of all, we're just so thankful for you, God. We're just so, so grateful for who you are and your love for us. And God, I don't know what we would do if we didn't have you, if we didn't have you to turn to. And God, I just pray that in a, in a, in a real way, I pray that you'd show up here today to touch each and every one of our hearts God, I pray that you would touch those who are teachers and who are, um, you know, it's just a real, a real struggle, God. It's, it's, teachers don't want to be on the picket line, God. They want to be in classroom teaching. And, and I just pray, God, for your intervention in this situation, that you would allow this strike to be settled very, very quickly in the next day or two. Father, so teachers can get back to doing what they love to do. And God, I pray for those in our church who are teachers, that you would sustain them, that you would give them strength, that Throughout this whole process, you would allow them to, to, to bring glory and honor to you. And Father, for those who are struggling with a, with a shutdown, not getting a paycheck, God, we pray, God, again, for your divine intervention and your help in this situation. And Father, we pray that you would provide for their needs. Somehow, God, you would be glorified through this all. And Father, if there's a place and a role for the church uh, to be involved, then, then let us know how it is that we can help, God. So touch those people. And God, thank you for allowing our Uganda team to arrive safely for Donna and for Todd and for Brent. God, we ask for your blessings upon them as they, as they do ministry. As they, I believe they'll be going to church today or they, they will have done church already today and maybe they're wrapping up their day. But bless them, Lord God. And uh, God, finally, you know, I just uh, pray for Orlando and um, for Francis, for Carlo, God, who lost their dad. And we just pray that your spirit would just touch their hearts and bring comfort to them. And Father, for this one situation, God, that you, you know all about, God, it's so heartbreaking. We ask, God, for your, again, for your favor to be upon this situation. God, for your presence to be there. God, for your, um, your power to come to, to play in this situation, God, and um, bless this family. So, Father, thank you for this morning. God, I pray that you would speak to us today, and I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been battling a cough, so I have a little... Uh, Cough drop in my mouth. Uh, I don't know where it came from. I don't have a cold, but I think it's all the dust in our house. So I hope that you'll bear with me. You know, as, as your pastor, I just want you to know my greatest concern, my greatest concern for each and every one of you is your personal relationship with Christ. 
That's my greatest concern uh, for you. My highest priority for you is that you would be engaged in a personal relationship with God. You know, I care about strikes and the, the impact that it has on, on families. I care about government shutdowns because of the impact, again, that it has on families. I, I care about the rain in our communities that might cause flooding, and, and I care about the hurricane, the devastation caused by hurricanes and earthquakes, and all those things. I do, I do care about all that, but I care about, more than anything else, I care about whether you have a close relationship with God or not. That's what I care about more than anything else. That's what's most important to me. And and that's why here at the beginning of the year, we decided to kick off a a new series called Engage, that we might be able to speak to you about the need for you to be engaged with God, how you can be engaged with God, because that's the most important thing to us. And we began the series last week by addressing just the the necessity of, of engaging in God's Word in the scriptures, in the Bible, which is, the, which is what we learned, the, the very breath, is the very breath of the Almighty. And I wanted to begin this morning by telling you about an experience I had several years ago. I've actually shared part of this story with you in the past, but I haven't shared all of it with you, and today I want to share all of it with you. I want to tell you the rest of the story. Now, just like the rest of you, my life is characterized by ups and downs and by highs and, and lows. And my guess is you'd rather hear about my high or my lows rather than my highs because the highs, the lows are the things that you can, you can identify with. And like the times, and I can, I've had so many lows, um, like the times that I struggled with depression. I've shared probably all of this with you in the past. Uh, I, I, I struggled with, I was diagnosed with clinical depression with, with loneliness and anxiety. There was a period when I would just literally have these panic attacks and um, struggle with uh, insomnia for three months. Uh, I think about the lows when as a teenager uh, I, I became sick. I battled an illness which required me to take medication for 15 years until I was 30 years old before I was deemed to be cured. Um, another low like when I was jobless and when I faced financial ruin because of a failed business venture. Or another low when, when my heart broke because of a, a failed relationship. Or the time I was hounded out of a job by my boss. I mean literally hounded until I was forced to resign. Another one, uh, another one of the most unforgettable lows in my life was when after a year and a half long battle, a year and a half long uh, negotiations rather, uh, to move into this building uh, when they came to a screeching halt. That was another low. That was probably one of the most disappointing uh, times of my life. Um, after spending tens of thousands of dollars in architect fees to um, move into this building, the cost of the project just kept escalating, just kept getting higher and higher and higher. And so we finally said, we can't do this. We can't obligate the church to more money. I mean, we're talking millions of dollars. And so we decided, a gut-wrenching decision, we decided to walk away from moving into this building. And it was, again, it was uh, the decision to terminate negotiations, to lease space here was one of the biggest disappointments in my life. It was so discouraging. I was so discouraged. I don't think I'd ever been as discouraged in ministry as I was when we walked away from uh, this particular project. Because, you know, when we, when we, first found out about this building, we, uh, 
we were just overjoyed. We, we, we believe that God opened the door, that God was the one that made it possible for us to come here. And then all of a sudden, after 18 months, a year and a half of negotiating the lease, it, he just slammed the door on us, and it was, it was over in an instant. And I was so deflated. And then one day, I can't tell you exactly when, I had a divine encounter with God. God spoke to me. And this is the part I didn't tell you about before. I don't want to tell you about that. Um, I was in my office. We weren't meeting here. at the Obviously, we weren't here. We had offices off-site. Uh, it was quiet. Nobody was in the office. I was probably, I was probably late at night. I don't remember if it was morning or, or evening. But it was only me. And God spoke to me. I mean, it was as clear as day. He spoke to me in, in English. And he said, what he said was, it was unmistakable. It was unmistakable. He said to me, stand still. Stand still. And I thought, wow, that's crazy. But it made sense because I had been going for over 18 months. I've been going a month. A, a thousand miles a minute. My, my mind, I was just going crazy, just trying to make this thing work. And then he said, stand still. And now my mind was racing to figure out what we were going to do next. All right, we didn't have a building, no, no longer a building to move into. At least hope we could move into. And so what were we going to do next? What's plan B? And I was just going, and then God said, stand still. Don't do anything. Don't take matters into your own hands. Stop trying to figure things out, Gary. Just stand still. And when he said stand still, it occurred to me, it occurred to me that God was taking me back to the time when the Israelites were taking matters into their own hands, when they insisted, when they demanded that God give them a human king. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but according to 1 Samuel 8, 5, and I don't have that up written there for you, but just a citation for you. 1 Samuel 8, 5. The Jews demanded that God give them a king like all the other nations. Now, the Jews were not ruled by a king. They didn't have a king. And so they, demand, they said, we want to be like everyone else. We want a king. God, give us a king. But what they didn't realize was that they weren't like everyone else. They weren't like everyone else. They were the people of God. They were the chosen people of God, and God had, had a different path for them. He wanted to be their king, but they kept on insisting, we want a king, we want a king. And so by insisting on that, they essentially rejected God's path for them, and, in, and hence they were, they were rejecting God. They rejected God. And so God gave them a king. But to remind them, but to remind them of who their real king was, the prophet Samuel said this to them in 1 Samuel 12, 16. He said, now therefore stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. In other words, God spoke to them through Samuel and he said to them, you need to ease off the throttle, take your foot off the gas pedal, stop trying to think, take things into your own hands, 
trying to stop figure, trying to try to stop figure things out. And he remind he wanted to remind them of who he was and what he can do. That he had all the power. That he had everything under control. They didn't need to worry about a king. All they needed to do was trust him. And so Samuel said to them, "Now therefore, stand still." And see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. And when I came upon this verse that evening or that morning, it was as if it was written just for me. God said, stand still. Cease striving. Stop freaking out. Stop worrying. This church is my church. This church is in my hands, not your hands. I've got everything under control. All you need to do is stand still and see. That was the second part. And see what the Lord was about to do. Now I wish I could tell you that when I heard those words, that I was relieved, like, Oh, oh, God, that's so good. I don't have to worry anymore. I don't have to have all these anxiety attacks anymore. I can just, I was relieved. As, oh, I wish I could tell you that a weight was lifted off my shoulders. Like, oh, this is so good. I feel, I finally feel okay now. No, I, when I heard these words directly at me, spoken to me, I, I wondered, what could God possibly do? What could God possibly do? We had exhausted all the possibilities to move into this building. The deal was deader than a doornail. It needed a resurrection. And the only one I've known that was resurrected was Jesus. And this wasn't going to happen here. I mean, it, and what, was gonna, what could God possibly do? At the same time, I knew God spoke to me. And he was about to do something great. And to this day... To this day, I can't believe what he did. Obviously, we're here, right? But I can't believe what he did to get us here. Me, a little faith that I, didn't, that I don't believe what he did. See, here was the deal. And this is the part some of you may have heard of before because I've shared it before. So if you've been around here any length of time and you've heard this before, then please bear with me. But when we began negotiating a contract to lease space in this building, 50,000 square feet here, the landlord uh, estimated that it would cost $5 million to make the improvements in this, basically was a shell, this 50,000 50, square foot space would cost $5 million to make the improvements to turn this into a church so we could move in here and have church. And so he proposed, and we thought it was a very fair deal, he proposed that we pay half and he pays half. He says, I'll pay half and you pay half. You pay two and a half million and I'll pay two and a half million. And we thought that's a fair deal, All right? So we had to raise two and a half million dollars, which we couldn't do very well. And then the reason we walked away from the deal and the negotiations was because he kept upping our share of the improvements. Several months into it, the owner of the building came back to us and said, you know, I've talked to the engineer, I've talked to the contractor, and we have these situations, they have these problems. I talked to the city, and it's going to cost more than $5 million. He said it could cost $6 million. He says it could cost $6.5 million. It could cost $7 million. I'm not sure yet. I don't have a fixed number yet. But all I know is I'm not paying more than my $2.5 million. You're going to have to pay the rest. And it just kept going up. 
Month after month, our share of $2.5 million went to, from $2.5 million to $3 million to $3.5 million and, and possibly even beyond that $4 million and beyond. And at one point, there was no end in sight as to what it would cost us, our share of it, to move into this building. And that's why after 18 months of going back and forth and back and forth, we said, we made the gut-wrenching decision, we can't do this. We can't obligate our people to something that we have no idea uh, where we're going with this. And we don't have that kind of money anyway, so, so we walked away. And we didn't have a signed lease, we didn't have a signed contract, so from a legal standpoint, we were uh, in the clear, but I was crushed. I was absolutely crushed. And it was right after that that God said, stand still and see what the Lord is about to do before your very eyes. And as I said, I couldn't imagine what he could do. No more than a month after we terminated our negotiations with the landlord, no more than a month, the landlord came back to us with another offer. In a sealed envelope, he gave us another offer. This time, I refused to open it. I said, no, we made our decision we're not going to do business with you. We're not going to move in this building. God slammed the door. We're not going. We're not going to even, I'm not going to even look at it. Another month passed, and the owner started to get antsy, I understand. And so he called and said, why haven't you looked at my offer? I said, because God slammed the door on this. We're not moving in here. We're not going to do business with you. It's, 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 it's over. And he, and he begged me, please, Look at my offer. Please open it up. I said, okay, I'll think about it. That's exactly what I told him. I'll think about it. <laughs> a few days later, I decided to amuse myself, so I opened his offer. And when I opened his offer and I read it, my jaw dropped. Someone had to pick it up off the floor, put it back <laughs> to my face. Remember the original offer was... $5 million to make the improvements. You pay half, I'll pay half. You pay two and a half, I'll pay two and a half million. His new offer was the church pays $1.6 million, I'll pay the rest. I'll pay, you, you pay $1.6 million, period. That's it. I'll pay the rest. It didn't, it wasn't, I'll go back to the original offer. It's two and a half, two and a half. No, no, no. It wasn't, it wasn't, I'll pay two and a half and you gotta, you gotta pay five and I'll cap it at that. No, he came down almost a million dollars from the original offer. And that's why we're here. And that's what God did. And I couldn't believe it. Me, a little faith. But I should have because God spoke to me and God said to me, stand still and see what the Lord is about to do before your very eyes. You know, I love this story. And I wanted to share it with you here at the beginning uh, of this message because I wanted, to I, want I wanted to remind us of how God can speak to us through his word. This is his word. And that's why it's so important that we engage in his word because this is how God can speak to you. If you want to hear from God, if you want to know what he has to say, then read the Bible. Read the word. Because this is how God speaks to us. And he spoke to me so clearly that day. It's unforgettable. I'll never forget that. But today, I want to tell you about another way that we can engage God, and that is through prayer. We can engage God through prayer. Now, my wife Cheryl and Annie Mason have been in Guinea, West Africa for over a week now. 
and we miss her terribly. I'm telling you, we, we, uh, we just miss her so much. Here she is, here they are with some kids in the village. And here's another one that was taken, another photo taken in front of uh, the huts that they live in. And you're probably wondering, how did I get these pictures considering they're in West Africa and only 1.5% of the people in Guinea have access to internet service? Right after Cheryl left, I contacted our carrier, Verizon, and to, to my delight and my surprise, they had a data plan for Guinea. I said, you have a data plan for Guinea? She said, yes. I said, That's a, does that mean that I can text my wife even though she's in a village in the middle of nowhere? She said, yes, you can. I said, that's amazing. I said, sign me up, right? I'll take it. And I signed up right away, and that has allowed us to communicate, me and the girls, to communicate with her every single day, to text her every single day, even though she's in the middle of nowhere. And we've been, uh, sometimes it's slow, and sometimes it's sporadic, sometimes it's instantaneous. <clears throat> She'll read a message, get right back. The main point is we are able to communicate with Cheryl. And uh, we've been able to give her updates on our little building, our little renovation project at home. She always asks about the dog. She never asks about how I'm doing, but she always wants to know <laughs> how the dogs are doing. How's Carmel? Are they feeling okay? Uh, I've texted her prayers. She wants to send her, us to send her photos of the renovation and of the dogs. Um, and I, I'm telling you, it, it, it means the world to us. It means everything to us to be able to communicate with her every single day, multiple times a day. And see, the, the first reason why prayer is such a fundamental part of engaging with God is because it allows us to communicate with God. Prayer is our communication with God. The most basic definition of prayer is this. Prayer is talking to God. You can write that one down. Prayer is talking to God. Prayer isn't saying 20 Hail Marys. It isn't meditation or passive reflection. It isn't mysticism. It isn't speaking a divine word. It isn't flowery oration peppered with thous and these. Plain and simple, prayer is just talking to God. And because God is omnipresent, he is everywhere, you can talk to God anywhere. Because he's omnipresent everywhere, you can talk to him anywhere, and I would add, at any time. You can talk to God wherever you're at. You can talk to God at church. You can talk to God at home. You can talk to God at work. You can talk to God at school. You can talk to God in the car. You can talk to God on the basketball court. When you're, when you're indoors, when you're outdoors, it doesn't matter where you're at. Because God is everywhere, you can talk to God anywhere. And you can speak with him in a loud voice out loud you can speak with him in the quietness of your own heart and silence and he will hear every word you can talk to God in public you can talk to God in private you can talk to God with your eyes open because that's what prayer is this is talking to God you can you can talk to God with your eyes closed I'll never forget the first time I talked to God I prayed with my eyes open I've been a Christian for about four or five years and I heard about a childhood friend of mine. Uh, we played basketball when we were 10 years old and, and saw each other throughout high school. And uh, I, I learned that he went off to college in, in, uh, in Boulder, Colorado, that he'd become a Christian. So I made contact with him. And so I said, hey, I, I'd love to come visit you sometime. So I hadn't seen him in 10 years. 
After 10 years, uh, I, flew to, I flew to Denver. Al, Albert picked me up at the airport. He and his wife picked me up. And uh, first thing he did, we just jumped in the car and headed on the highway toward, toward his home in Boulder. And the first thing he did after we hit the highway was, hey, let's pray. And I thought, but you're driving. <laughs> and the reason I prayed with my eyes open was because he was driving, and I wanted to see if he was going to keep his eyes open or not. <laughs> Someone had to watch the road. I figured it was going to be me. Well, of course, he kept his eyes open, and after he said amen, I thought, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. That's the coolest thing I've ever experienced. We just talk to God with our eyes open. I've always talked to God with my eyes closed, but we talk to God with our eyes open. And I learned from that experience that I can talk to God with my eyes open, or I can talk to him with my eyes closed. It doesn't matter because prayer is just talking to God. In fact, let me ask you something. Have you ever prayed with your eyes open? Ever prayed with your eyes open? I highly recommend it, especially if you're driving, right? <laughs> Keep your eyes open. In fact, right now, right now, let's all of us, even in, the, even in the cry room, even those of you who are out in the lobby, let's talk to God. All right, you can keep your eyes open. Let's talk to God. And why don't you say this to him? You can just kind of repeat this after me. If you want to say it out loud, you can. If you want to just say it quietly, uh, you can. But let's just say this to him. Dear God, I want to thank you for who you are. I want to thank you for being such a big God. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on a cross for me. God, I've got all these problems. I've got all these issues. I've got all these challenges in my life. Please help me because I can't do it without you. I need you. And help me to live for you, God. Help me to live for you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed with me right now, you just engaged in a conversation with the God of this universe. Isn't that amazing? You just engaged in a conversation with the God of this universe. That's what prayer is. Amazing. The second thing I want you to write down is this. Prayer is the pathway to intimacy with God. It is talking to God, but it is also the pathway to intimacy with God. You know, in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1 opens with the story of a woman named Hannah who wanted children, but she couldn't get pregnant. Some of you who have struggled with that know how difficult that is, how heart-wrenching that is. Here's what 1 Samuel 1.10 said about how she felt about all that. It says, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and, and wept bitterly. She was deeply distressed and she wept bitterly and she prayed to the Lord. She, according to the passage, she prayed in silence. She prayed in the quietness of her own heart, but her lips moved as she prayed. When Eli the priest saw her lips move, although he didn't hear anything coming out of her mouth, he thought he accused her of being drunk. Here's how Hannah reacted to that accusation in 1 Samuel 1.15. And it says, but Hannah answered, oh, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink. I'm not drunk. And she says, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. 
She wasn't intoxicated. She was just pouring out her soul to the Lord. Would you underline pouring out my soul? The Hebrew word for pouring out is the word shafak. And you don't need to remember that, but I want you to remember what it means, all right? I want shafak or pouring out means to dump or to gush. I mean, she was literally dumping everything out before the Lord. She was gushing out everything. In other words, she let it all hang out. She didn't hold anything back. She told God everything, all right? And that's what prayer is. It is pouring out your soul to God. It is talking to God about everything. It is letting him know about everything in your life. That's what prayer is. I mean, you can talk to God about your hopes and your dreams and about your broken dreams. You can talk to God about your heartaches and your disappointments. You can tell God that you're sad or that you're happy. You can tell him that you're angry or that you're afraid. You can tell him that you're hurt and lonely. You can tell him about all the things that you struggle with. You can talk to God about the things in your life that no other human being knows about except you and him. You can tell him anything and nothing will surprise him because he knows everything anyway. It is pouring out your soul to God and that leads to intimacy. And to be honest with you, it has been those times when I have poured out my heart before God. Maybe it's, it is confessing sin. Maybe, maybe it's confessing my insecurity. Maybe it's confessing my, my failures. It has been those times when I've been most intimate with God. Because it's, we have such an amazing God because it's at those times when you're confessing and when you're coming before God and you're telling them how much, how much you need Him that God comes and just wraps His powerful, amazing, gracious arms around you. I have experienced that over and over and over. How good it is to know that we have a God who loves us even in spite of our weaknesses and flaws. Let me ask you something. What kind of prayers do you pray? What kind of prayers do you pray? I'm not talking about how long do you pray, but what kind of prayers do you pray? Do your, do your prayers tend to be superficial and kind of surfacy? You, you pray you pray only when you have a meal, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub kind of thing? Or do you regularly come before God just to pour out your heart to Him? Just pour out your heart to Him and, and share everything that's going on. See, God desires an intimate, personal relationship with each and every one of us that comes through prayer, that comes through us pouring out our souls before God. And I want to encourage you to take time today, if not today, this week, Take time to pour out your heart to God. Tell him everything that, that is on your heart, everything that is going on in your eyes. Tell him everything, and I believe that you will sense his presence in a fresh new way. You know, on December the 1st, 1955, an African-American seamstress named Rosa Parks was going home on the Cleveland Avenue bus in Montgomery, Alabama. December 1st, 1955, she was seated in the front row section of the, or front row of the, quote, colored section, unquote. See, according to the Montgomery City Ordinance, the bus was divided in two. And if you were a white rider, you get to ride in the front half of the bus. And if you were a black rider, you had to ride in the back half of the bus. She was in the first row of the back half of the bus. The, the ordinance also stated that if the front half of the bus was filled with white riders, that if any more white riders came on the bus, that the African-American riders in the back, they had to give up their seats so that the white riders could have their seats. That was the ordinance. 
So on this particular day, on her way home uh, from work, she was sitting in that first row of the second section, and the front section was completely filled with white riders. And when more white riders boarded the bus, the bus driver asked her and three other African-American riders to remove themselves so that the white riders could take their place. The other riders complied. The other African-American riders complied, but she did not. She refused to move. So the police were called, and she was arrested. Here, here's a picture of her being fingerprinted by police. And she was fined $10 plus $4 in court fees. That was 1955. That was a lot of money back then. Several days after the incident, a civil rights group began to organize a, a boycott of the bus system. 40,000 African Americans rode the bus in Montgomery, Alabama. So if you can get all of them to boycott the bus system, that would have a huge financial impact on the bus system. And so they started calling for a boycott of, of the, uh, the bus system there, the rapid transit system. And black ministers, that Sunday, black ministers in the city joined in the cause. And that afternoon, they elected a 26-year-old pastor named Martin Luther King Jr. to be their leader. He became their leader. Tomorrow, we observe his 90th birthday. He would have been 90 years old on, the, on January 15th, I believe, is his actual birthday, had he not been cut down by an assassin's bullet 50 years ago. But here's what Martin Luther King said in a sermon titled, Our God is Able, that, it, that was believed to have been delivered on January the 1st, 1st, 1956. And this is about what sustained him as the new leader of this civil rights movement. I don't think he had any idea what he was getting into at the time. But here's what he said in that sermon, Our God is Able. Almost immediately after the Montgomery bus protests had been undertaken, we began to receive threatening phone calls and letters in our home. Sporadic in the beginning, they increased day after day. At first, I took them in stride, feeling they were the work of a few hotheads who would become discouraged after they discovered that we would not fight back. But as the weeks passed, I realized that many of the threats were in earnest, and I felt myself faltering and growing in fear. After a particularly strenuous day, I settled in bed at a, at a late hour and was about to doze off when the telephone rang. An angry voice said, listen, expletive, we've taken all we want from you. Before next week, you'll be sorry you ever came to Montgomery. I hung up, but I could not go to sleep. It seemed all my fears had come down on me at once. I had reached the saturation point. I got out of bed and began to walk the floor. Finally, I went to the kitchen and heated a pot of coffee. I was ready to give up. I tried to think of a way to move out of the picture without appearing to be a coward. In this state of exhaustion, when my courage had almost gone, I took my problem to God. My head in my hands, I bowed over the kitchen table and prayed aloud. And the words I spoke to God that midnight are still vivid in my memory. I am here, he said. Quote, I am here taking a stand for what I believe is right but now I am afraid. The people are looking to me for leadership, and if I stand before them without strength, they too will falter. I am at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I have come to the point where I can't face it alone, unquote. That was his prayer. 
He goes on in his sermon, at that moment I, ex I experienced the presence of, of the divine as I had never experienced him. It seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, stand up for righteousness, stand up for truth, God will be at your side forever. And almost at once, my fears passed from me. My uncertainty disappeared. I was ready to face anything. The outer situation remained the same, but God had given me an inner calm. Three nights later, our home was bombed. Strangely enough, I accepted the word of the bombing calmly. My experience with God had given me a new strength and trust. I knew now that God is able to give us the interior resources to face the storms and the problems of life. Let this be our ringing cry that there is a great benign power in the universe whose name is God and he is able to make a way out of no way and transform dark yesterdays into bright tomorrows. This is our hope for becoming better people. This is our mandate for seeking to make a better world. What a great sermon and what a great man he was. Martin Luther King, when he was at the end of his rope, when he had no power left, when he was backed up against the wall, he bowed his head and prayed. He prayed. He was a man of deep faith and prayer. It's one of the most inspiring sermons I've ever read. And because he prayed, he experienced the presence of God, as he said, as he never had before. He had a divine encounter. He had a divine encounter with God. And that's what can happen when you pray. You can have a divine encounter with God. You see, prayer isn't just talking to God. Prayer isn't just about intimacy with God. But prayer is also the pathway to having an, an encounter with the divine. It is the pathway to having an encounter with God. You can write that one down. And the story, Martin Luther King's story, reminds me of the story of another king. King Hezekiah. Approximately 2,700 years ago, Hezekiah's nemesis, King Sennacherib of the nation of, of, of Assyria, surrounded Jerusalem. He and his army surrounded Jerusalem to attack Jerusalem and to attack the Jews. But before they attacked, Sennacherib taunted King Hezekiah of Jerusalem and he mocked his God. Here's what he said, 2 Chronicles 32, 17. It says, and he wrote letters to cast contempt on the Lord, the God of Israel, and to speak against him, saying, saying this, like the gods of the nations of the lands who have not delivered their people from my hands, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. You guys are toast. Your God is weak. Your God's not going to do anything. You're dead meat. That's basically what he was saying. And, and, and the verse, and then verse 18, which follows this, I'm not going to read it to you, says that the Assyrians shouted this message, took this message, they shouted it in Hebrew so that everyone in the city would hear it, so that they would be afraid. That's what it says. And that led to this response in verse 20. Take a look at verse 20. And then Hezekiah the king and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, prayed. They prayed because of this and cried to heaven. They prayed. This is the same thing that Martin Luther King did. And it says they cried to heaven. The circle the word cried. The word cried there is the Hebrew word za'ak. You don't need to remember that, but I want you to remember what it means. Za'ak means to wail. 
It means to wail. This isn't just timid, quiet prayer. I mean, they wailed. God! God, help us! Comes from the word, za'ak comes from the word to shriek. To shriek because of anguish and danger. And so what's pictured here for us is a sense of desperation. Hezekiah was desperate. He was desperate for God. They were desperate like Martin Luther King was desperate. And that led to a divine encounter with the Almighty. And here's what happened as a result of their, pro, their prayer. In the next verse, uh, verse 21 in 2 Chronicles 32, it says, And the Lord sent an angel. And the Lord sent an angel who cut off all the mighty warriors and commanders and officers in the camp of the king of Assyria. So, he, so, so the king returned with shame of face to his own land. And when he came into the house of his God, some of his own sons struck, down there, struck him down there with the sword. They killed him. His own sons killed him. Verse 22 says, and So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from the hand of all his enemies, and he provided it for them on every side. God came through. God just came through. They cried to heaven. They shrieked in anguish. They wailed, and God came through. He sent an angel to vanquish their enemies. He changed their circumstances. It went from bad to good, all because of prayer. But here's what you need to know. Not all encounters with God through prayer will be accompanied by some type of miracle or healing or deliverance. Not all, as in the case of Hezekiah, you can have an encounter with God like the one Martin Luther King did, and it won't change your circumstances. It didn't change his. He walked out the door, and that prejudice was still there. It's still there today. But it changed him. It didn't change his circumstances, but it changed him. The prayer changed him. And he said, Martin Luther King said, an inner calm, an inner peace came upon him. So that even when his home was bombed, he was okay. I mean, not okay with the bombing, okay with his situation. Reminds me of what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. In your final verse. Paul said, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer. Circle the word prayer. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Would you underline, let your request be made known to God? And the peace of God, verse 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let your request be made known to God. In other words, pray. Paul said, pray. Let him know what your requests are. And what will happen? The peace of God. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. In the Greek, it means all reasoning. It under, in other words, it defies reasoning. It defies logic. This peace defies logic. It will come upon you. And it will guard your hearts and your minds. In other words, you will, you will have an encounter with God. You will have an encounter with God. And the reason you will know it is because you will experience a peace that is palpable and nonsensical. And you wonder where 
did this come from? Why is it that I have this inner calm in the midst of a storm? You have it only because God gave it to you. You see, prayer is a pathway to having an encounter with God. And if that's true, it begs this question. When was the last time you had an encounter with God? When was the last time you had an encounter with the God of the universe? Maybe the better question is, when was the last time you were so desperate for God you hit your knees? When was the last time you were so desperate for God that you wailed, that you cried out in anguish, and you poured out your soul to Him? When was the last time you did that? It's because you really can't have an encounter with God and if you just throw up these simple little prayers like, oh, bless my day, God. You, you, you've got you to come before him in, in desperation. Just like Martin Luther King did when he said, I am at the end of my rope. I have nothing left. I can do nothing. I need you. When was the last time you prayed that? When you cried to him in desperation, you can have an encounter with God. So to recap, prayer is talking to God. Prayer is talking to God. You can talk to him everywhere at any time. You can, prayer is the pathway to intimacy with God. You want to pour out your soul to him. And prayer is the pathway to an encounter with God. And so my final question is for you would be this. How engaged in prayer are you? How, how much do you pray? How engaged are you? I'll be the first one to admit to you that prayer is hard work. It does not come easy for me. It is not easy for me. In fact, any kind of communication is hard. It, communication, is, it's, communication is hard with my wife. If you're married, you know what, that, what that's like, right? Communication does not come easy in a marriage, in, even in a marriage relationship. So one of the tools I've used to improve my, my prayer life is just a pen and a pen and some paper. That's it. And uh, I'll get a composition book like this. In fact, this is one of my prayer books right now. I'll get a composition book like this. In fact, you can get these for 50 cents at Walmart or Target just before school starts. And I buy a whole bunch of these things. I load up for the year. And uh, I'll use it kind of as a journal. And, I'll, and I'll, write out, I'll write out my prayers. Pastor Gary kind of covered this last week, but you know, I'll, I'll, I'll start by writing, I'll read my Bible, and I'll, I'll write out a verse, a verse that I really like. That's, we, call, we talk to you about soap, S-O-A-P, and S is scripture. What's, what's a verse that you like? I write out a verse. And what's your observation, the O, what's your observation about that verse? And then the A would be, how do you apply that verse? What's the application? Then the P is the prayer. You write out the prayer. And it's been so helpful for me to, to write out my prayers. And sometimes I'll just go pages and pages and pages. It's all prayers. And somehow it just, it just, I love to write. So sometimes it's easier for me to write out my prayers and the name, names and all these kinds of things in, in my prayers than it is just to, to get on my knees and pray. And I'll do that too. But here's an example of what I wrote January the 12th, just not too long ago. I was reading Deuteronomy and I came across this verse in, in Deuteronomy 9, uh, 18 and 19. And I don't know if you can see it, but I, but here's, I wrote down the verse. That's the S. And, I, and here's the verse. And it says this. Moses wrote, Then I lay prostrate before the Lord as before, 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all the sin that you had committed in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. So stop right there. So think about that. I read this and I thought, 
wow, this is crazy. Moses prayed before God on his belly for 40 days and 40 nights. And the whole time he did that, didn't even drink any water, didn't even eat any food. He just got on his, he just got on his face and he just prayed. And the reason he prayed was because the people of God, the Jews, had sinned against him. They created this golden image. And so he, he, he prays this prayer. He says, I, and he says, I, I did this because of all the sin that you had committed and doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And he, so he was praying for God's mercy. God, don't destroy them. Don't destroy your people. Verse 19 says, For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure that the Lord bore against you so that he was ready to destroy you. And in the last verse, verse 19, I don't know if you can see it there, it says, But the Lord listened to me that time also. God heard his prayer. And he didn't destroy his people. And so I wrote down that middle section that I wrote down. Wow, what a powerful and convicting story about the power of prayer. The Israelites disobeyed God and did evil in his sight. Yet because of prayer, he did not destroy destroy them. Moses interceded for his people. And how did he do that? He just lay flat on his stomach. And he prayed for 40 days and 40 nights. I mean, that's, that's desperation, right? That's desperation. He begged God for mercy. And, and, I, and so I wrote down this prayer. And this, just a list of part of it here. <laughs> but I wrote, Dear Father, I'm convicted by this story and by the way Moses interceded for his people by laying prostrate <clears throat> before you for 40 days and nights. My prayers are so pitiful compared to those of Moses. Oh God, may I become a man of prayer like Moses and may you do great things to me because of prayer. You know, I, I, I'm a wimp. Not even a, I mean, worse than a wimp. I mean, I would, love to, I would love to pray like this for 40 minutes, right? Or, or even an hour, let alone for 40 days and 40 nights. I was so inspired by this story that it inspired me to pray more. And of course, again, you can, you can do pages and pages, write this out. This is just one little tool. You know, we, we want to make this a, a practical series. So, so now it's up to you. Will you pray? How will you pray? If it's hard for you to sit and just pray, get a journal and start writing out your prayers. That, and sometimes I'll do it even on my computer because I can, I can type faster than I can write. And sometimes I can whip them out faster. I hope you'll try it. You know, when I call Verizon and ask them, if there was a data plan and they told me yes, I said, sign me up. And she said, it's expensive. And I said, how much is it? And she said, I said, you're right, it's expensive. <laughs> but sign me up. You know why? Because I'll pay anything to communicate with my wife. I don't care what it costs, hundreds of dollars. I'll pay, I'll pay it to communicate with my wife. And she did say, the Verizon rep did say, that in any given 24-hour period, if you don't text her or call her in that 24-hour period, you won't be charged for that day. All right, so don't use it. You won't have to pay for it. I thought, oh, that's good. But you know what? We text her constantly. So we're racking up all these charges. You know, prayer's like that. Prayer is God's data plan. It's there. Sometimes we don't use it. 
It's there. And the cool thing is, God doesn't charge you for it. It's free. So talk to God. Talk to Him. Pour out your heart to Him. Next week, we'll look at a different aspect of prayer and how we ought to pray for one another. Okay? Let's close our time in a word of prayer. As you bow your heads and close your eyes, I want to give you an opportunity right now, wherever you're at, even in the lobby, close, close your eyes, bow your heads. Oh, I take that back. If you want to keep your eyes open, you can, because prayer is just talking to God. You can do it with your eyes open, right? But I want to give you an opportunity to talk to God. I'm not going to lead you in a prayer. This is just up to you. And I want you to say to him whatever it is that you want to say to him right now. Maybe you need to start by confessing some sin. That's how I always begin my prayers because I'm always sinning. So ask God to forgive you of your sins. Maybe you're here for the second or third time and you've never entered into a relationship with God. Why don't you tell him today, God, I just want you to know I believe in you. I want to have a relationship with you. Show me who you are. So, so whatever it is that you want to tell God, maybe you've got all these problems that are just weighing you down. Maybe you just need to get on your knees where you're at. You, you can get on your knees. That's okay. Why don't you cry out to God right now? This is your moment to have some time with Him. God you are Lord God it, it astounds me that hundreds of people could be talking to you all at the same time and it doesn't sound like confusing to you you hear every cry and you hear every plea and you hear, hear every voice, every single voice comes into your, your ears and it's clear. And you are moved by the prayers of your people. And not only is it, is it just hundreds here, but thousands and millions of people might right now might be praying to you. And you are so big and so loving that you hear it all at the same time. Take notice, and you care about every single person who cries out to you. You care about every single person in this room, and those in the lobby, and those in the cry room. You care about every single child in our kids' crew area. 
thank you for the amazing and great and loving God that you are. Father, I pray that you would help us to engage in prayer with you like we never have before. And God, even though, even if we, we don't get the answers that we want, I pray that by coming before you, we would have an encounter with you every day. It might be an encounter that leads to an inner peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding, that says to us that even if things don't turn out the way we want them to, you are God and you are in control. So God, help us to stand still and see this great thing that you're about to do. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.